This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I started a series last week called Process and Experience. And this is not in your notes, but I shared it with you last week. And you can put this on the screen. We have kind of a summary statement that lets you understand where we're going. If you could put that up, it's this. We are a people of process open to God experiences. And I think it's both. I think we, as evangelicals, sometimes we think it has to be one or the other. That if we're people of discipline who have devotional life and are committed to good church processes and good spiritual disciplines like we're studying right now in 242, if we do that, then there's no capacity for God to do something experientially. And on the other hand, we have the wrong um, the wrong belief system that if we're people who believe God can do something experientially, then we're not disciplined and we don't have processes and systems. And it's just, those are not competing ideas. And I believe that a true understanding of the scripture brings both of those together. And so today, uh, our text today we're going to read is Acts chapter two, because today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday um, It predates the Azusa revival. So for those of you who grew up with a Pentecostal tradition, Pentecost Sunday is not something Pentecostals own as we define them in the 20th and 21st century. Pentecost Sunday has been celebrated at the beginning of the church. There's something, a church calendar. uh, And what it helps us do, it helps us to remember important things. Pentecost Sunday talks about the ascension of Jesus into the heavens as the disciples saw him ascend And then the dissension or the giving of the Holy Spirit. And that's when the church began. I want you to turn to Acts 2. And let's stand together, if you're able to stand, Acts chapter 2. And we'll read this scripture and it will provoke a lot of questions. I'm not necessarily speaking expositorily through Acts 2 today. Later on in the year, I plan on speaking more on the Holy Spirit. But I'm talking about today the God of experience. And we're looking at things that are broad Uh, beyond just the Holy Spirit, though the Holy Spirit's activity is in all experience, uh, the Holy Spirit's activity uh, through healing, the Holy Spirit's activity through inspirational devotions, the Holy Spirit's activity through empowering the preaching of his word, the idea of God being experienced. And what an appropriate Sunday to look at this in this Pentecost Sunday. And we go to the story in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues, like flames of fire, were divided, appeared to them, and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech." And there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? It goes on in verse 9 and 10, lists several different ethnic groups, some we recognize today, others we don't recognize so readily. And then in verse 11, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? 
Now, I know when we read Acts chapter 2, it provokes a lot of thought. I've done a lot of study on Acts chapter 2. If you want to talk about it more with me this week, you can contact me. But I want you to look at this a little broad, broader this morning. And what I want you to see this morning is that God moves through experience. Last week, we talked about the God of process. We talked about seasons and rhythm. We talked about the law of reaping, what we sow. And I encourage you to go and listen to last week's sermon because today is a companion sermon to last week's. But God is a God of experience in Acts chapter two. I mean, right there, if you've ever seen an experiential verse, we've got a powerful wind coming in. We got flames of fire resting on people. We have people speaking in languages they didn't know in their natural mind. And that is after Jesus went to heaven when the Holy Spirit came. And so here's what I want you to do today. I want to put you at ease. I know it's Memorial Day weekend and uh, the fact that you're at church today is remarkable because often when we're on a holiday weekend, we think, well, let's take off church too. So way to go, way to be here today. And just to be truthful, today is a day where I just want to open our minds and open our hearts a little bit. I, I wanna be open to anything God does, but I don't anticipate the end of the sermon uh, there, there being anything untypical of what's usually happened here. If God wants to do that, that's fine, but in prayer and preparation, I believe today is an informational Sunday. So I want you just to have an open heart And here's what I hope happens when you leave today. I hope you leave today thinking for the first time or thinking again, God can move experientially in my life. God is not just an intellectual thought. God is just not knowledge, but but he can do something uh, that's beyond my senses, beyond my understanding. Does that that sound like a good thing to, to believe? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the sending of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you are a God who's involved in our lives. You're not distant. You're not one who doesn't care for us, but you're engaged, Lord. You care for us. You're responsive to us. So we give you the glory. We give you the praise. We, We honor you. We ask that you use today's teaching to help us all. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you agree, would you say amen? You may be seated. Some of you are already seating before I said that. You guys know the drill, don't you? At one of the churches that I served, and probably this story could apply to all the churches I serve, but but there's one person I'm thinking of in particular who really enjoyed praying for the sick. And this guy loved to pray for people who were sick, which is a great thing. I, I appreciated that about him. But he was so eager to do that When visitors started to come, uh, they started maybe misidentifying who he was and and really how healing works. And I remember there was one particular Sunday, there was a lady who, you know, was newer in her faith and she was ill and she came to me as a pastor and asked me this question, is the healer here? And the theologian in here, like, what a great question. I was like, yes, Jesus is here. I mean, Jesus is here in the gathering of his saints. Jesus is in your heart. Jesus is in the symbolic taking of communion. Yes, the healer is here. Jesus is here. She said, no, I'm talking about the guy with gray hair and the orange shirt. Well, he was at the 9 a.m. service. Sorry, he's not at the next service. Um, it was a, 
it was a, maybe a logical, immature interpretation, but it's something that happens. Sometimes we wrongly uh, believe that healing power resides in a person. No doubt there are some people who may be more prone to have those gifts move in their life because they, they, they studied it or believed in it or God's gifted them that way. But there, there is a lot of debate, believe it or not, if you haven't looked into of how healing occurs and, and when it occurs. And, and I have a very, I, I know where I stand on that. But here's the one thing I believe everyone can agree upon. Whatever your theology of healing is, that we know that the healer, it's not someone that you can run into at McDonald's or Starbucks or in the lobby. The healer is not a human person. It's the one who chose to be human, Jesus Christ. He's the only healer. Jesus Christ is the only healer. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. You can fill in the blanks. I've got you back to filling in the blanks, which is a gift to you. God creates miracles. That's what I want you to put down. The reason it's a gift to you is because you can doodle when you need to. God creates miracles. This is so important because when man or woman begins to get the glory, we begin to call a man or woman the healer. We've already forgotten where the source of our healing comes from. And then what happens if a man or a woman is identified as a healer, then he or she has to reproduce that experience to keep up their reputation. Do you see where, uh, where this vicious cycle can go? All of a sudden, I, I mean, if, if people are putting their faith in Aaron or an evangelist on TV or any other person and they're putting their faith in that person, then what happens is we begin to have to use psychological tricks to get people healed because we're trying to, we're trying to live up to our reputation. Isn't it a lot easier if we just keep the, keep the healing to the one who is sovereign to the one who knows us, to the one who has all power, who has never pollutes his power. That's Jesus Christ. That's the, Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He is the healer. Now, I want you to look at this beautiful scripture in Exodus 15, 11. It's stirring in my spirit today. Exodus 15, 11 says this. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders. This is a great realization that one of the reasons we know our God is real is not because we took a survey of religions our freshman year of college and, G and Jesus won. Jesus was the most logical. We, we don't believe God is, is real simply because of our cultural um, inheritance. We believe God is real. One of the reasons is, is because he performs wonders among us. And the question in this scripture is, who is like you among the gods? In a world that is identifying all these different gods, we have a God who has a particular name, has a particular character. He's glorious in holiness. He's worth our reverence. And he performs wonders. And here's the truth. Guys, if you read your Bible... From Genesis to Revelation, God is moving through experience from the beginning to the end. Just like God moves in process from the beginning to the end, and he does. He moves through seasons. He moves through rhythm. He moves through laws. He moves through sowing and reaping. All the things we talked about last week. Simultaneously, from Genesis 
to Revelation, God is moving experientially in his people. He's anointing his word. He's delivering a timely word to his people. He's performing signs and wonders. In addition to that, if you study church history, there is a stream from the time that the Bible was canonized until even today that in every era of church history, you can find God moving experientially. You can find God moving in a way that's beyond just our natural senses. It is true that both in the scripture and in church history, which is less reliable than the scripture, but still something to learn from, in both the scripture and church history, there are seasons when the experiences of God are maybe less frequent. There are seasons when the experience of God are maybe um, not, not exposed enough or they're, they're under-identified. They're not easy to identify. And then there are seasons when they're more plentiful. But it doesn't change the fact that from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to the year 2015, God is always moving experientially with his people. There's always been revivals. There's always been a move of the Holy Spirit. There's always been God showing himself and revealing to himself to people in unusual ways. Uh, there's always been this sense of God's presence, the glory of God. You know, the glory of God is the weightiness of God's presence. The idea that uh, when we come together as his people, that you can actually feel a heaviness at times, that you just feel God's presence. It's like he's come and he's rested upon us. This is something that is all through scripture, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, after the gospels, the New Testament, and it still exists today. Now, here's something that I want you to understand, though, and this is in your notes, that there is one experience that you cannot get around. You, if you are a Christian, you have to believe in at least one experience. If you don't believe in one, this one experience, you're not a Christian. Bottom line, it's this. The resurrection is the imperative experience to believe. And that, that's why we meet every Sunday. We meet on the Lord's Day. We, we meet on the day that he was resurrected. That's why everything revolves around his death and resurrection, now, you might say, well, no kidding. But, but I'm gonna tell you this, and you need to know this. I know I already referred to freshman year of college, but this is the reason why. Because your students are gonna be put in religious survey classes at state universities and some universities that are Christians. And some of the greatest, quote, greatest, theological minds of our day of the 20th and 21st century do not believe in the resurrection. Now, now I, I want you to understand this, that there are many, many, Teachers, theologians, and even churches that once you really peel the onion off, um, like to have the label Christian, but they don't believe Jesus bodily resurrected from the dead. They may believe he metaphorically was raised from the dead. They may think that he is raised from the dead in our hearts, but they don't believe he was actually conquered death and Hades in the grave and was raised again. Well, Paul addresses this issue very clearly when he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. You need to know this scripture. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That's what I say, guys. You have to be a person who believes in experiential Christianity or you're not a Christian. Because if you don't believe Jesus actually was raised from the dead, then you don't have a true faith. And you might say, well, I'm trying to believe, but I, I can't believe. And sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to help us believe that because it is 
grace that draws us into to faith. But if he is alive, if he, if, he is, if he is truly alive, if he is truly alive, then he is who he says he is. And he's not like another human being, a human teacher, religious leader. He is God himself. And that's the basis of our faith. And that's why we are here. The incarnation is everything. You know, human beings, we are created to be responsive to certain stimuli. We're, we're created to be responsive creatures. Beth and Abby, that's my wife and daughter, uh, they had kind of a girls' day out with a couple other ladies here in the church. So me and my two boys uh, were home, and so we went out to lunch with my mom, who lives, she goes to church here, she lives like six doors down from us. We went out to lunch with her after lunch, went back to the house, and we're sitting around, and mom comes into the living room, and she brings a package of Chips Ahoy cookies. And she asked Luke, do you want these? He said, no. So little brother said, no, I don't want them either. And then me, you know, I'm trying to, you know, watch it a little bit. So I said no too. So she did something. She, instead of returning the package of cookies back to the kitchen, she just set them on the coffee table right in front of us. Yeah, I told her, those are as good as gone. Because it's just human nature. You don't put a package of Chip Ahoy cookies in the middle of three guys and they don't get eaten. And I will not tell you, will not confirm or deny whether or not I ate it. It's none of your business whether or not I did or not. For the last 13 years, we've lived in the same home. We had this community pool. Memorial Day weekend is when they opened the pool. So we were there yesterday and something that happens every year it's happened for 13 years little kids come to the pool they're excited you know they take off their flip-flops take off their clothes covering their bathing suits and there's big bold letters by the pool no running at the pool how many know that children do not naturally observe that and daintily and calmly walk over to the pool no way they're going to run to the pool. The first weekend of the year, there's just, it's like a scientific law that they are going to run to the pool and they're going to get there as fast as possible. Human nature. You guys are predictable too. You're predictable because look at these first two rows up here. No one wants to sit in the front. I know people in this church who come early to reserve the back row of the church. Why? Because people want to sit in the back. It's just, we just know that. We know that you're, you, you don't put all the seats out yet because we've got to add from the back, you know, from the back onto the back. We're just conditioned as human beings to respond to certain things, and we just do. And in, in life, you find that in life that we are preconditioned experientially to react a certain way. You know, that's human nature, but God has a nature too. And one of the things we do through Awana and through Exit 7 Youth, and through Sunday morning service in 242, and the why we keep going to church is because we keep discovering not just human nature, but divine nature, God's nature, and God has a nature about him. God has God of process, a God of experience, but the divine nature has chosen to be reactive too. God in his divine nature has chosen in his sovereign will to do this, to respond to prayer. And here's your second point. God responds to prayer. Now, I did a whole series on prayer 
in January. You may want to go back and listen to some of those. And so we won't address all of those issues, but we're going to be reminded again today that, guys, it is just dumbfounding how we forget this, isn't it? You know, it's just crazy that we wait until the last minute to pray when God, his nature is to respond to prayer. James chapter five, verse 14 and 16 says it this way. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Now look at this, verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord, I love that phrase, the Lord will restore him to health. I have that underlined there. Not, not the healer, but the Lord. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. You understand that God does something when we get together. And that's why I just wanna say this. Frankly, I love the internet. I'm on it almost every hour of the day. But logging onto the internet is not the same as going to church. There, there's a presence. And this is what I'm talking about experientially. Yeah, you can expose yourself to teaching and be part of the process, but there's a presence when we get together. I believe there's even a presence on the messages when the speaker's there physically in the room. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with satellite churches at all. I don't believe that in the least. Most, a lot of my friends do satellite churches. I just think that it's a good thing when we're together. That's what I think. It's a good thing when we're together. I've had the privilege of hearing some of the greatest preachers in America preach life. Guys that you may know their names. Went with one of my pastors, uh, John McKenzie. He and I went to Atlanta two years ago. We, we went to four different churches in one Sunday. Talk about a couple of church nerds, right? I mean, that's, but we were pastors and we're trying to sharpen ourselves and get better. Heard some incredible speakers, incredible speakers. And this is not so much as a critique as it is just a reality. You know, a lot of people came to hear these guys speak and they got done preaching and it was like, we're at the edge of our seats. I'm at the edge of my seat. I'm sitting at the edge of my seat like, this is awesome. This is so good. And the, ser the service just ends, <laughs> just like that. And it's kind of like, see you guys, bye. And kind of by the time we meander and find our car, our mind is somewhere else. And that's the nature of churches that run multiple services and have to get everything squeezed down. But here's the point I'm trying to make. At this point in our church's maturation, one of the things that are really important to us is that we give some time after the sermon on most Sundays to respond. Preaching is important, but as evangelicals, sometimes we uh, make preaching too important if preaching doesn't bring us to life change. And so it is that, guys, we're, we're offering prayer partners. You know, we're offering communion. We're offering space for you to meditate. We're offering a chance for you to think a little bit about, about service. And that's one of the reasons why we're trying to get more efficient in our services and, and why it's so important that we have a, a warm church. I think that's probably one of the most important things we have culturally here is that you guys are nice and friendly, but just also think about when we get over fellowship time, kind of winding up that conversation. 
because we're, we're trying to give room for God to do everything he can. And when I'm having this battle with you guys, it's just uncomfortable. And Beth tells me after service, you were so mean when you get the mic. So I try not to do that anymore. We tried to put a video up today to kind of stifle you guys a little bit. But the point is this, the point is this, is that at the end of the message, um, most weeks, and it may not be this way this week, we, we want to give space for God, right? In the Psalms, they call it a Salah moment, Selah, where they just, the song is so good, they just have to pause for a second. And I think sometimes we don't have an understanding of God moving in our lives and giving us experience because we simply don't give God the space. We wanna rush on with our days so much that he doesn't even have the space to break in to do what he wants to do. So it is that we go to Acts 28. We see another example. Paul was shipwrecked. And it says this, that Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery, which killed much of the ancient world. Most people died of dysentery. And Paul went to him, praying and laying his hands on him. He healed him. And this, after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. You know what I love about this scripture? There's a lot of things I love about this scripture, but I love that this didn't happen during a church service. So I just wanna challenge those of you who have known the Holy Spirit for a long time and your heart aches for more experiences with the Lord. I hope God does everything he wants to do in this church and in this room, but I simultaneously hope God does everything he wants to do in the place you work and in the family that you lead and the people you serve. Deal? I'm doing everything I can to be everything God wants me to be. I want you to do everything you can to be everything God wants you to be. And maybe if you don't worry so much about me and just pray for me and worry a little bit more about you, maybe we could all be everything God wants us to be. Does that sound good? I don't even know where that came from. That must have been from the Lord. Somebody need to hear that today because that wasn't in the notes. And I have nobody in mind. You guys are so funny. I'll say something like, were you thinking of me? No. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. And, and, and this is kind of an interesting time to tell you this. Actually, I have made it intentional that I don't, I'm not passively aggressive when I preach. So if I have an issue with you, I'm going to come to you directly. I don't use the bully pulpit to try to hope the message gets to somebody in that section. Hope Daniel Becker hears this, right? No. If I get an issue with you, I'll talk to you. I won't use the preaching to do that. We want the Holy Spirit to do that. So here's the last question. Listen to this. Why does God move experientially? Let's get the why because God's a God of purpose. Why is it that God heals us of diseases? Why is it that revival brings back spiritual life to dead churches and dead denominations and spiritually dead nations? Why is it that the prophetic word is timely and speaks accurately to the heart of the situation? Why is it that the presence of God is experienced when we sing and worship, when we take the symbolic communion, the bread and the cup? Why is it that the Holy Spirit anoints the preaching of his word? Why is it that God gives us experiences? Because we've got to, have, we've got to answer this question. If we don't know the why, we won't have the experience. And it's so simple, but it's so profound. 
It's this. Jesus is glorified through experiences. That's it. Experiences are not meant for you. It's meant for more of Jesus in you. Experiences are not part of our preferences. They're not part of our cultural identity as a particular church or a particular religious stream. Listen, if we understand this, guys, that experiences are for Jesus. So Jesus anoints the preaching of his word not to validate Aaron's speaking talents. Jesus does that because he wants to be exalted to the preaching of his word. And Jesus anoints Beth and Aubrey and Jennifer's worship not to give them somewhere to use their vocal talents, but so Jesus is glorified through the lyrics, through Jesus is glorified through the presence because God enthrones the praises of his people. Jesus is not glorified through communion to give Becky an opportunity to come and prepare communion to keep her busy as she did before this service today. He did it because the symbolic act of communion, the presence of God, when taken by faith, is there in the bread and the cup. And it reminds us of we're taking all of Jesus and consuming all of him. Nicodemus was one who met with Jesus in John chapter 3. You know John 3.16. It's a beautiful scripture. But here is kind of the setting leading to this, so, this very important conversation in John 3. There was a man uh, from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night, probably because he didn't want to be discovered during the day, and said, Rabbi, look at this. We know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Signs and wonders, healing, authoritative preaching of the word, parables that pierce people's heart. Do you know what it did? It proved to people or showed people that Jesus was God. So at the very beginning, Jesus was set apart as a different teacher, as a different rabbi, as a different religious leader through the experiences, through the power of God, through signs and wonders. Jesus was exalted through those signs and wonders. Hebrews chapter two Verse three and four says this, how will we escape if we didn't neglect such a great salvation? It was first spoken by the Lord, that's Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, that's the apostles or the the original 12, original 11. Now look at this. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Okay, what, what did God verify? The message of Jesus. He testified to that. The power of God moving among us points to Jesus. Can you handle it being that simple? Do you need something deeper? Do you need something deeper than that? Because I, I, I want us to live this. And we're not living this. The experiential move of God and the power of God increases the awareness of Jesus among us. We begin to talk more about Jesus. We begin to think more about Jesus. We begin to act more like Jesus. And all of a sudden, when we're around those who don't know Jesus, they've noted those men and women must have been with Jesus. That's what the power of God is for. That's why we are people of experience. We're people of process and experience because we know this is that the signs, the wonders, the healing, 
the anointing of the word points to the one that we love and the one that we're called to proclaim. Acts chapter nine, verse 32 says it this way. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, I love this phrase, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter really had that concept down. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and look what happened. And they turned to the Lord. They didn't become Peterites, they became Christians. They became people who loved Jesus with all their heart and their soul and their strength with everything that's in them. Listen, hey guys, I am so, so excited about our future. I'm so excited about our kids going to the getaway this summer because guys, we invest in them. We invest in them as a church and you invest in them as parents and grandparents and friends, community friends, because we want them to have an experience with Jesus. You know, all throughout the year, we're about process. We're about discipleship. We're encouraging them in their time with the Lord. Regular small groups are happening. And then, wow, this one particular week in the year, it's part of our custom. They're gonna go away and they're gonna get away. They're gonna get away from ESPN and Netflix and get away from all their social media stuff and they're gonna be able to focus on Jesus and there's gonna be power because together they're gonna experience him. Is that not exciting? Is that not exciting? Hey guys, we're gonna invest in VBS because four nights in a row, four nights in a row, this room's gonna be filled with kids who are gonna be praising the name of Jesus together and they're gonna hear the gospel every Sunday night. That's an experience, isn't it? Later on, in the month, it's our intention now to have a corporate prayer meeting, much like we had back in January. January, we had a beautiful prayer meeting and we had, a, we had an open mic here and we just sought the Lord. No one really preached as much as we read scripture to one another. We ministered to one another and, and we just had this, uh, this sense of those who wanna seek the Lord a little deeper, we're gonna gather together and I think it would be good to kind of schedule some of those and I think it would be good for you to make a sacrifice to be at some of those because those who seek the Lord will find him. Those who just wanna stay home won't find him often. Those who seek the Lord will find him. Those who just wanna entertain themselves again won't necessarily always find him. I mean, is that not what the scripture says? You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You invest in the things that God wants you to and you'll get a return in your life. That's a, that's a God of process. Isn't it neat that once we are part of the process and the rhythm and the sowing of the right seeds, then the experience starts coming on us, right? As experience starts coming, we begin to experience God. Here's the problem. If you don't have process in your life and then you try to produce an experience that you had before, that's when we begin to manipulate the things of the Lord. And then it's just, then it's simply embarrassing because listen, when you don't have the power of God, and the, when the power of God is not attached to our religion, religious customs, then it's just dead religion. And just, it just doesn't work out. Let's stand together. Some of you may not know the Lord. 
I don't ever want to be presumptuous in here. You may not know the Lord. And so this whole thing of experience, you've never had an experience with God. Can I just say that you're here today because the Lord loves you. And the Lord wants you to know that he wants to come into your life and become your friend. And so if that's you today, that you need that first experience, that initial experience, the thing that brings you in, it's called a conversion, a change of heart, a repentance, a turning from your sins and from your way of living and turning to God. So no doubt there, there may be someone here. But I know those of you who are Christians, there's a couple of other categories here. Some of you have been part of faith systems or churches or denominations who were never open to God moving experientially. And you need to know that your parents and your grandparents and your pastors were good people. And they taught you process. They taught you faithfulness to church, faithfulness to the Bible, faithfulness to sound doctrine. And so I, I do not disrespect them in the least. But I just know this, is we only know what we've known in the past. And then there's times that God says, okay, now there's something new. And so I just say this, if you come from a spiritual heritage that never believed God can move actively and God can move now and God can move today, take the valuable things you get from your heritage and continue those. And then now I just, I just implore you today just to open your heart. That's what I'm gonna ask you to do today. But you just, just kind of open your heart. I mean, you saw what the Bible said, right? Okay, I, I gave you lots of scripture today. I wasn't trying to use human persuasion because human persuasion will only get so far. I'm not a salesman trying to sell you a vacuum cleaner. I don't know if salesmen do that anymore, so that was a safe one. But I, I, I'm just trying to show you what God said, trying to show you what the scripture said. And so let's open our hearts and just, just say, God, you possibly could move. You possibly could do something like I've never seen before. And then the other category are this, and I know who I'm gonna say, I just wanna make sure I wrote it down the right. Christians who, this, I'm glad I looked at this because I believe the Lord put this phrase exactly. exactly. Some of you are Christians from the spirit-filled tradition, and here's what I need to speak to today. Hard-heartedness. You have a hard heart towards the things of the spirit. You intellectually can, you agree, you, you, you can analyze 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 19, all that. You, but you have a hard heart. You may have been wounded, you may have been manipulated, uh, you may have uh, been forced or someone tried to force you to say things a certain way or some kind of weird, goofy prophecy. All that stuff, I've seen all that stuff happen. Listen, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's just a man or woman making a mistake and operating in the flesh. So for those of you from a spirit-filled tradition, if you have a hard heart, can I just ask you, can you just allow God to just open that part of your heart again just a little bit? And that's, that's, that's it. That's all I feel like the Lord wants to do among us today. Open hearts. Open hearts to new possibilities. Open hearts to new possibilities. Would you close your eyes for a second? Let me address that first group one more time. Just today, I don't know if anyone will raise their hand. There may be none, but there may be one. There may be many, I don't know. If you say, hey, I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I've never had an experience with God. If you're sitting in that far right section, raise your hand right now. Say, I'm not even sure I'm going to heaven today. Anyone in that far right section? I've never had an experience with God. Don't even know if I'm going to heaven. Anyone in the middle section? 
Anyone in the middle section, just raise your hand quickly. I don't see any hands. Anyone in the far left section, raise your hand if you just don't know the Lord at all. Okay, well, then we can assume either we're all Christians today or those who are not Christians, you're, you're not ready. You're, your heart's not ready to, to respond. So the rest of us, now, we got two categories. People who have been closed to the experience of the Lord only because of, uh, only because of your past and, and people who um, have known the Spirit but you're hard-hearted. Let's spend some time reflecting on that. We're gonna open the table of the Lord and it's family Sunday, so um, you may wanna pray with your family. You don't have to, but it would be good if you're, if you're able to. If you're able to pray and take communion with your family, that would be great. If you'd rather do that individually, that's not a problem either. I won't give further instructions on communion. You can take the bread and the cup when your heart's open, but let's all stay, if we're able to, let's all stay and, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And then just in a couple of minutes, I'll come and kind of give our formal dismissal. The table of the Lord is open. Let's pray as individuals or let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake.